So two Sabbaths ago, we found God in MySpace. Then last Sabbath, sure enough, there He is in Facebook. And I hope you're not surprised that today He shows up in YouTube. Why wouldn't He show up in YouTube? Everybody else shows up in YouTube, like Judson Lapley. You heard of him? Judson Lapley? I hadn't heard of him either until I came across this piece uh, uploaded to the web just this week, written by a sophomore at Duke University, a young man named David Distenfeld, titled the essay, You Too Can YouTube, but seriously, here we go. Judson Lapley is my personal hero. Sure, he's no New York City firefighter, but he's a hero nonetheless. You probably don't recognize his name, but I'm sure everyone reading this has seen his work. Judson is the star of the most viewed video on YouTube. How many views does he have, you ask? Well, to indicate the staggering enormity of this number, I will activate my keyboard's caps lock feature and give it to you. And before I give you the number, I need to just say a word about YouTube. There may be some people here, it is possible, who have not heard of YouTube. Let, let me just tell you what YouTube is. YouTube is a site in cyberspace run by Google that is available to any human being that has the ego strength to put a video camera in front of himself, push the record button, and do anything you want, and then upload it to YouTube. I mean, I'm telling you the truth. You can be as nutty as a squirrel and end up on YouTube which is probably what you are when you do. You can take pictures of squirrels. You can take pictures of your pets. You can take pictures of your babies. Some of the hottest... By the way, if you ever... This is, this is just a little pastoral counsel. If you're ever going through a day and you are really bummed out, you're just feeling awful, go onto YouTube and then type in laughing babies. Just type in laughing babies. You will leave on cloud nine. You will be the happiest person on earth when that little baby is through. So anyway, you can do that. You can put news clippings. It's the most, it is the most frequented video swap shop in the universe. All right, so that's where Judson Lapley shows up. How many people have visited Judson Lapley? He's only recorded one video in his life. And he ended up on YouTube... To indicate, let me repeat that sentence, to indicate the staggering enormity of this number, I will now activate my keyboard's caps lock feature. The number of viewers for Judson Lapley, 81,697,004. 81.7 million people have met Justin Lapley. Look at it. If Justin is on YouTube, ladies and gentlemen, God has to be there. The question is, are you too on his YouTube and I need to plunge into this Word of God with you this morning. God's YouTube invitation. God's YouTube U2 invitation. Open your Bible, please, to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. We are as unknown as Judson Lapley, perhaps, but here is a line from Holy Scripture that shifts the paradigm. This is God's YouTube U2 invitation. By the way, if you didn't bring a Bible, grab the pew Bible in front of you. Hebrews, that would be in the New Testament. Let me give you a page number for that. That would be page 809. Hebrews chapter 10. Just two lines from ancient scripture. You and I have never been to these two lines together before. But the time is right. Hebrews chapter 10. I'll be in the New King James Version. And it's just two verses. Verses 24 and 25. Let's go. 
All right, verse 24. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not, there's verse, verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day. That is capital D, as you see the capital D day approaching. You're saying, hey, Dwight, I don't say anything about YouTube in this whole passage. I want to tell you something, my friend. It has YouTube written all over it. And if you'll just put a few little sketches on that study guide of yours, you'll see it too. So take out your study guide and your worship bulletin today. Let's, let's just cut to the chase. Study guide is in your worship bulletin. Visitors, if you came in and you didn't get a study guide, just hold your hand up. Our friendly ushers will make sure that you get one right now. All the way to the back and in the balcony, please. And those of you watching on television, we're delighted you're joining us for this series. Let me give you our website, put it on the screen for you, www.pmchurch.tv. That's our website. You, you uh, type in that website. You're looking for a series, a little series called God's Party. That's the series. It's a little five-parter. This is part three. We have only two more. And oh, by the way, don't miss Green Google. Don't miss Green Google next weekend, all right? But today is YouTube U2. That's what you're looking for under God's Party, YouTube U2. And right there, it'll say, uh, it'll say study guide. Click there, and you will have the identical study guide. With the answers, by the way, those of you watching, with the answers at the bottom. So let's go. Huh? Everybody have one? All right, first line in our study guide today. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 is God's strongest YouTube, YouTube invitation. Write that in, please. Invitation. This is the strongest, bar none, invitation in anywhere in Holy Scripture, as we're going to note in just a moment. Keep your pen moving. The motto of Google's YouTube, this is, their, this is their motto, broadcast yourself. All right? But the motto of God's YouTube is bring yourself. Bring yourself. What's that supposed to mean? Let's take a closer look at this, uh, these little, this little two-liner that we just read together. Let's read it again. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. Now, listen, guys. There is a single Greek word that unlocks that entire line. It's a lot of words in the English. Assembling ourselves together. All of that can be captured in one Greek word. In fact, jot this down. Will you see it there in the study guide? Here's the one word. Episunagoge. Now, epi means at, and sunagoge means gathering together. I want you to look at that word, sunagoge. Can you see an English word that comes out of sunagoge? What would it be? Huh? Synagogue. You got it. Write it down. Synagogue. Clearly, jot this down, this word describes a gathering together for worship. That's what you do in a synagogue. So this has to be talking about weekly worship. Now, I need to remind you, in case you have forgotten, that in the New Testament, Jews and Christians often worship in the very same place, always on the very same day, in the New Testament. In fact, let me show you this. Let's just go back to the story of the New Testament church in the book of Acts. Put, put your ribbon right there in Hebrews 10. We'll be right back. But Acts chapter 13, I'll give you just a, a line or two from this history that will show you that, in fact, they're there. Same place, same day. All right, this is Acts chapter 13. So Paul and Barnabas, John Mark has cut and run, and uh, Paul and Barnabas are staying together. This is a, what they call Paul's first missionary journey. And verse 14, when they departed from Perga, Paul and Barnabas, they came to Antioch and Pisidia, and they went, in, went into where? 
They went into the synagogue on what day of the week? On the Sabbath day, and they sat down. And obviously, the ruler of the synagogue uh, spots these two gentlemen. And any time strangers showed up, if they looked like they were educated, the word would uh, go back to them. As one of the ushers took it back to Paul and Barnabas, do either of you have something to say? And Paul was hoping for that open door, and he jumps to his feet. And Paul preaches from verse 16 all the way down to verse 41. All right? As soon as the sermon is over, notice the next line. Verse 42. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them. When? Be preached to them the next Sabbath. Oh, all right. So that's just going to be a few Jews who get together the next Sabbath? No, drop down to verse 44. And on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city, almost the whole city came together to hear the Word of God. Jews and Christians, yep, yep, yep. Gentiles and Jews, yep. In fact, turn, turn towards Acts 17. Taking a look at uh, the greatest Christian who ever lived. What was his, what was his uh, custom? Acts chapter 17, look at verse 2. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them. Where is he? Verse 1 says he's in a synagogue. He went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures. You say, of course, Dwight, if you want to reach the Jews, that's where you go. You go to the synagogue. There are no Gentiles there. Synagogues are only for Jews. Oh, my friend, you don't want to jump too quickly to that conclusion because go over to chapter 18. All right, just one, one, one column over to chapter 18. Look at verse 4. Now Paul is in Corinth, and he, Paul, reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded whom? Both Jews and Greeks. You're going to the synagogue. If you believe in an almighty creator God, you're going to worship on that almighty creator God's day, and you will worship where others are worshiping the same God on that same day. So you're always, you're always on the, in the Sabbath in a synagogue, Jews and Gentiles alike. In fact, scribble it down, will you? Throughout the New Testament, Jews and Christians worship together on the same Sabbath and often in the same synagogue. All right. So what's the, what, what's the writer of Hebrews trying to tell us? Go back to where you put the bulletin or that ribbon. Let's look at uh, Hebrews 10 again. Verse 24, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You know what he's doing? He's simply saying, hey, Christians, hey, hey, don't give up. Don't, don't give up on worshiping on the Sabbath. Don't you dare give up. He's saying, come on, Dwight, I don't see a word about the Sabbath there. Lord, we just... We just know there's a huge hint with that word synagogue there because that is where you meet to worship on the Sabbath. But there's one more hint. Fascinating. And one of our doctoral students here at Andrews University who's working on his Ph.D. in New Testament is in the thick of his dissertation right now and he has shared this with me and I'm excited to be able to share it with you. It's my friend Erhard Galos. Now watch this. You see, the writer of Hebrews has already dealt with the Sabbath. Gallus in his, uh, in his research is saying, actually, if you note carefully, chapter, Hebrews chapter 4 and Hebrews chapter 10 are parallel chapters. And he shared it with me. There are three major ways in which it is clear by the syntax and the semantics that these two chapters are intended by the writer to be parallel. So that what gets started in chapter 4 gets finished in chapter 10. Now, this is fascinating. This is cutting edge. Watch this. I'll take you back to chapter 4. So, so we're here in 10, but just go back for a moment to chapter 4, where the writer talks about the seventh-day Sabbath. Yep, he does. 
Hebrews 4, drop down to verse 4. For he, God, has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Uh, the writer is taking uh, verse 2 straight out of Genesis 2. And he's saying, hey, remember the creation story? That's what I'm talking about, the seventh day Sabbath. Now, taking the divine model of resting on the seventh day Sabbath, the writer then turns to his readers and he said, hey, guys, we've got to do the same. Drop down to verse 9. So there remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. I need you to get this down, and, I'm, and, it, and it's in your study guide so that you can, you can brood on this later. This is the only place, jot it down, this is the only place in the New Testament and in the Old Testament uh, uh, Greek, which would be the Septuagint, this is the only place where that word, sabbatismos, where that word is used. Nowhere else. Now, the word is actually used in extra-biblical literature. That means literature outside of the Bible, and it always describes, jot it down, Sabbath-keeping. So he's talking about Sabbath keeping. And the NIV therefore correctly translates it. Let's put it on the screen there. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Then the writer says, hey, I'm talking to you. And he goes on to verse 10. For he or she who has entered into God's rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Jot it down. The writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, all of you who are reading... We also must rest from our work, even as God did. We must rest from our work on the same seventh-day Sabbath. The writer is making a pitch for the seventh-day Sabbath. And then, here's the, here's the uh, stunning conclusion. Earhart, and, I, and it's in the study guide for you. Earhart Gallo's doctoral research is suggesting that in chapters 4 and 10, the writer of Hebrews is appealing to his readers to neither give up the day of Sabbath rest, that's chapter 4, nor the way of Sabbath worship, that's chapter 10. They're bound together, just locked. By the way, evidential proof that the seventh-day Sabbath is the only day of rest divinely countenanced in the entire New Testament, because Hebrews is written just months before the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. It is still big, that day of rest in the New Testament church. Wow. So now, now that we know that, let's read that, that little twosome again here in chapter 10, verse 24. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Ladies and gentlemen, write it down. The appeal of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 for Christians is simply, let us not give up coming together to worship God on the Sabbath day. That's the appeal. And by the way, the key word, jot this down as well, the key word is together. 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 A few months before the end of World War II, C.S. Lewis, you, you, everybody knows C.S. Lewis. The brilliant Christian apologist of last century, C.S. Lewis, who was an atheist. Like the young man who read the testimony this morning, an atheist, C.S. Lewis was an atheist, converted, found Jesus Christ and became a, a radical disciple of the Savior. C.S. Lewis, just a few months before the end of World War II, he's a Britisher, so he's in, a large, he's in the headquarters to a large manufacturing firm in Sussex, England, and they've, they've asked him to talk about the Christian immersed in industry, and at the end of his little talk, he says, okay, any questions? We have a record of the questions that were asked C.S. Lewis, and one of those questions was this. 
Is attendance at a place of worship or membership with a Christian community necessary to a Christian way of life? I, do I have to go to church? Come on. Do I have to go to church to be a good Christian? Lewis's answer will surprise you. I'll put it on the screen for you. That's a question which I cannot answer. My own experience is that when I first became a Christian about 14 years ago, I thought that I could do it on my own by retiring to my rooms and reading theology. And I wouldn't go to the churches and the gospel halls, end quote. Hey, wait a minute. Does that sound familiar? Ever heard those words before? Hey, come on, Pastor. I don't need to, I don't need to come to this place to worship. What do you think? You got some monopoly on worship around here? I can worship in my room. I can worship in my home. All I need is a good book or the good book. I don't need any... Any of this kind of assembling ourselves together stuff. I mean, come on. Come on, Dwight. I got an iPod. I'll even download one of your sermons. Okay, that's the deal. I'll download one of your sermons, but I'm going to listen to my own music, listen to your sermon when I wish, and I don't have to hang around all of this stuff, assembling ourselves together. Oh, by the way, by the way, Dwight, it's just the two of us. We're going to walk along the lake. We're going to be in the great outdoors with the Creator. We don't need anybody else when you're this in love. What is assembling ourselves together stuff? That's the way Lewis used to think. Now notice how he goes on. Back on the screen in your study guide. Then later, then later, I found that if there is anything in the teaching of the New Testament which is in the nature of a command, it is that you are obliged to celebrate the communion and you can't do it without going to church. Isn't that something? So you got to go. Keep reading. He says, I want to tell you about the churches. I dislike very much their hymns, which I consider to be fifth-rate poems set to sixth-rate music. Huh? And now listen, now you come on, time out, time out. That may have been the hymns that C.S. Lewis was listening to. I don't even know what he was listening to, but I don't, I don't want you to interpret that every hymn we have around here ranks in that category. No way, Jose. Huh? The hymns you and I sing. Come on. He says, anyway, I consider those hymns. That's why I didn't go to church, he said. I consider that fifth-rate poem set to sixth-rate music. But as I went on, watch this, I saw the great merit of it. I came, up, I came up when I went to church against different people of quite different outlooks and different education. And then gradually my conceit just began peeling off. I realized that the hymns, were, which were just sixth-rate music, were nevertheless being sung with devotion and benefit by an old saint in elastic side boots in the opposite pew. And then you realize you aren't fit to clean those boots. Final line, fill it in. It gets you out of your solitary conceit. End quote. It has become fashionable. In some circles, not far from here. To demonstrate your intellectual prowess and your finely tuned artistic discernment by announcing, I'm not going where they sing fifth-rate poems set to sixth-rate music, which we call praise music if we're university students. I was hoping I'd get more than one amen out of that. <laughs> and that was our worship leader at that. No, it wasn't. Hey, listen, guys. Lewis, all right? Let's talk about Lewis. A mind certainly much brighter than mine and perhaps even brighter than yours got over this stuffy, 
huffy. I'm not hanging around people who aren't just like me and who don't like the kind of music I like and don't like the kind of preaching I like. I'll get over it, Lewis said. How did he describe these people? These are, he said, I discovered that, that different people of quite different outlooks and different education, when they come together in this communal togetherness, you know what he said? It peeled away my solitary conceit. And sometimes that's the only way you can describe a reason not to join a community in worship. Solitary conceit. I read it again. Verse 24, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day, of, day appearing. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, the point is simple and clear. Write it down. The communal day of the Sabbath is to be experienced in the communal way of worship, i.e., write it down, together, together, together. Of course, of course you can worship God all alone in your room, all alone in your home, all alone in your trailer, your apartment. Of course, I worship Him every single morning. And you know what? I'm the richer and the better for being alone with God. But being alone at home, home alone is not enough, is not enough. Home alone is no substitute for being at the ballpark. Hey, it's the baseball season, isn't it? Baseball season, hallelujah. You know what? You want to to talk about fifth-rate poetry set to sixth-rate music? Here's one for you. And yet when you hear this, I want you to note the communal language in what all of us ball fans sing at the seventh-inning stretch when it comes to that little pause in our group fellowship. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out... With the crowd, see the word crowd, buy me some peanuts and cracker jack. I don't care if I never come back. Let me root, root, root for the home, see, home team. (laughs) And if they don't win, it's a shame, for it's one, two, Three strikes, you're out in the old ball game. Now, guys, that is a song about communal fellowship. (laughs) What are you laughing? Let me just, you didn't catch it, did you? This great American pastime is about communal fellowship. Take me out with a crowd. I want to root for the home team, for if they don't win, it's a shame. Hey, listen, why is it a shame? Because I'm a part of them, and they are a part of me, and we're all going down, and we're all going to stand together. We win together. We lose together. We do it together. Hey, listen, guys. Listen, if it's a choice, seriously, if it's a choice between sitting at home in front of my tiny little television screen or being out in that stadium that is packed and sitting on those uncomfortable pews, I mean bleachers, with all those people. If it is a choice, I'm willing to sit on anything. If you give me a chance to hang around some people who share the same passion I do, people who are rooting for the same team I am. Because, ladies and gentlemen, you know what it's all about? It's all about community. Community. What do you think keeps the poor Cub fans going? (laughs) Community. I just want to wear that red C on my cap. 
a century without a win. It's all about community. You say, what's the big deal about going to a ballpark? You be thinking about church. I'll be talking about ballpark. You think about church. Here you go. Number one. Why do I go to a ballpark? Number one, to share and strengthen my resolve. I get stronger when I hang around other fans. Number two, why do you go to a ballpark? To reinforce my loyalty. And number three, why do you go to a ballpark? To embolden my witness. Makes me stronger. When I've been around you, look at this, verse 24. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, why do I go to a ballpark? Because I need to know that I am not alone. That may be true for every baseball fan you can think of, but I want to tell you something. It is even more true today for a countercultural movement at this moment in human history. We have to, we have to come together and gain strength and stir each other up and say, yeah, that's right. Boy, I about, I about gave up this week, but I'm glad to know there are a few others on this same team. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. By the way, I don't understand this. Would you explain this to me? If I am a fan of the Yankees as I am, they say, hey, isn't he a great fan? But if I'm a fan of Jesus Christ, they say, hey, isn't he a great fanatic? What's up with that? Why can't we be a fan of the Lord Jesus Christ and his community of faith at the end of time? Why can't we be fans? I mean, they're sitting in the rain on the worst seats in the world just to be together. You know why? I'll tell you why. Because there's nothing like community. And God, oh mercy, God, jot this down, will you? God is big on communal worship. Because we're not just going to be with fans. We're going to be with the Creator Himself. We're going to be with the Creator Himself. And oh boy, is, that's why He's so big on communal gatherings, communal worship. By the way, God has a YouTube piece. Yes, He does. And that's why God says, I've, I've got YouTube, and I need you two in my YouTube. You know why? Because God is not into solitary. Oh, He loves being alone with you. Don't, don't misunderstand me. God's not into solitary when it comes to this moment. God says, the more the merrier. You bring them in. Go bring your friends. Go bring your family. You guys come on over. I want to meet with everybody you can find. Because God is big on community. He says, you know what? I don't like these little YouTubes that are just one picture, one hero shows. No. He says, my YouTube is a U2 invitation, and I want everybody in the picture. I want everybody. In fact, jot that down, will you? His favorite YouTube Sabbath picture is a group portrait. A group portrait. Oh, sure, he loves one-on-one. Loves it. But you've got to know that where two or three are gathered together. Do you remember this? Matthew 18:20. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name. That's not just because three guys hanging around on the corner. No, in my name. You've come to worship. Where two or three are gathered together in my name. I am there in the midst of them. Listen, you may not have 3,000 like Pioneer, huh? Tell you what, all you need is three. If you've got three, you've got God. One of those three is God. You've got, you got God whenever you come together in His name. God is big on communal worship. I figured out why God is big on communal worship, by the way, because He's a father. If you're a father, if you're a dad as I am, you know, every dad is, is really keen on being able to have some time alone with his separate children. I mean, I got Kirk, and I like to have time alone with Kirk. 
I've got a Christian. I like to have time alone with a Christian. By the way, I have three kids now because that little girl got married. And I want to tell you something because some of you have been praying. Yesterday morning at 4 o'clock, a plane landed at Fort Riley, Kansas, and our son-in-law, medic with the U.S. Army Rangers, stepped off that plane and survived 14 months in Baghdad. And we are saying, thank you, Jesus. You were praying. Many of you were praying. Oh, you, don't, you, you don't need to clap. You just say, amen. Thank you, Jesus. And the moment I say that, the moment I say that, I know of moms and dads who met a plane for a different reason. Wives and husbands who greeted a flag-draped return. I don't take it lightly. But every dad wants time with his kids alone, but there's nothing like a, a father's heart. A father says, listen, for the holidays, I want everybody. I want everybody to come. I want all the children here. And that's why the Sabbath, which is God's holy day, from whence comes the word holiday, God says, I'll bring the whole family. I'm not into one-on-one today. You just bring everybody you got every seventh day. I, I'm going to have a party, and we're going to call it a holiday. Which is why, by the way, when God posts... A picture on YouTube of the future. Only God can do that. He can post a picture that hasn't even been taken yet, but he posts it on YouTube. He says, I want to show you the future. In the future, it's a group portrait. Watch this. This is Isaiah chapter 66, verse 22. For as the, hev- as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Lord. Okay, I'm going to build this thing all over again. So shall your descendants and your name remain. Now watch this, ladies and gentlemen, verse 23. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. That is so important that I wish you would jot it down in your study guide, please. Write it down. From one Sabbath to another, all flesh in the new earth shall come to worship before me forever and ever, says the Lord. Every seventh day throughout eternity will be a Sabbath, and God will be having everybody home for worship. Isn't that something? Every Sabbath, forever and ever. It's a group portrait. Wow. Want to be a part of that group portrait? Anybody here want to be a part of that group portrait one day? But of course. So here's the question. Do you, will I remember the truth that Hebrews is teaching? Jot it down, will you please? If you want to be in the portrait then, you've got to be in the group picture now. Why? Because right now we are closer to the return of Jesus to this planet than we have ever been before. Let me read it with you one more time. Verse 24, Hebrews 10. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner or habit of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the capital D day approaching. What's the capital D day that the writer is referring to? Drop down to verse 37. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Jesus is coming again. That's his point. If you want to be in the portrait then, you've got to get in the group picture now. Now. In fact, write this down. The closer the day of Christ draws to us, the closer we must draw to each other on Christ's day. I'm telling you what, ladies and gentlemen, you will not find a stronger appeal in all of Holy Scripture to come to church, to come to church, to come to church. There's nothing stronger than what we just read today. In fact, look at this. Look at this uh, from the NIV. 
Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let's encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Do you know why this is so crucial? Because corporate worship is tied to personal readiness. Getting ready for the return of Jesus involves me hanging around you. Say, Dwight, just hang around God all alone. No, I get strength from you that I cannot get when I pray alone. I get strength from you when we come together. It's about getting ready. You know what that means? We need to begin right now. The days of skipping church and absenting ourselves from worship are over. Ladies and gentlemen, we have been too laissez-faire about Sabbath worship. We've kind of thought, you know what, this is, this is a little option. I'm waking up today and I'm just not feeling real rested. And so I think today I'm going to stay away from church. I'll turn on the radio. I'll watch it on TV. We have become too laissez-faire. I mean, you know, maybe I'll get back to it. The problem is once you skip, is this true? Once you skip, it's so much easier the next Sabbath to skip. And then it's so much easier the next Sabbath to skip. And before you know it, you are just plain skip. Skipping. Skipping and skipping. We've been too, too lackadaisical about this. The passion of Hebrews 10 declares that the days of skipping church and absenting ourselves from worship must end. Why? Because Jesus is coming soon. In fact, jot this down, will you? Corporate worship is linked to personal readiness. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. Prepare, O Israel, to meet your God. Come together. Come together. Come together and prepare. Don't you prepare alone. You come, come, come together. A friend of mine was here last week for the spring meetings. We were visiting together afterwards and we fell into conversation. He's from California. So we, we fell into conversation about the economy. I don't know if any of you are watching the economy. It may be one of the big, big, big stories just on the brink of the horizon. Just keep your eye on the economy. Anyway, so we started talking about the economy. And so my friend who lives in Southern California was telling me about his tax accountant, because this is the season. And so he was in visiting his tax accountant the other day. The tax accountant is a member of a mega church in Southern California, one of those huge, huge churches. And the tax accountant told my friend, do you know what in our, because they started talking about the economy. Do you know what in our congregation, one out of ten families is now going through foreclosure. Foreclosure. Do you know what foreclosure is? You haven't gotten into a house yet. Foreclosure means I can't do it. I just, the, the house is not worth as much as the loan anymore. I'm out of here. Close it up. A friend, last Sabbath, second church, sitting over there, works in a very large financial institution in Chicago. He's an Andrews grad, and you can be really proud of him. Anyway, he came by, and as he was going out, I said, hey, listen, this economy thing, what do you think? He says, let me tell you something, Dwight. There are now in this nation 8,000 foreclosures a day. 8,000 a day. So all you need is a little domino action going on here. You have foreclosures that bump into mortgage institutions, that bump into banks, that bump into Wall Street, that bumps into the United States. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a falling dollar. We have escalating oil. We've got the Middle East as dry as a tinderbox waiting for one more spark. Come on. Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, John McCain. There is nobody who can be our Savior now. Nobody. All of this protect, protracted process get real. When God is ready, here's the point. When God is ready, pull the plug. And just like that, it goes. How does it go here? For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come 
and will not tarry. So, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So much the more as the day approaches. Every one of these little five-parters in this God's, God's Party series, each one of these parts ends with a little something practical and simple you can do. So here's today's something simple. I need you to go to your friends. This is very simple. I know that I've been preaching to the choir the whole morning long because you're here. I need you to go to your friends. You know who your friends are. They don't listen to me. They'll listen to you. And I need you to say to your friends, it's time. It's time to come back to church. It's time to come back to Jesus while there is still time. Come on, my friend. Come with me. You bring your friend. She doesn't want to go alone. You come with her. He doesn't want to go alone. You bring him. Because it's time. We can't afford to not be in a group portrait right now. Get alone and it'll be the death of us. Dwight L. Moody, the great American evangelist of the 19th century, was visiting a businessman one evening by the fireplace in the businessman's home. And the businessman was waxing eloquent with Moody. <laughs> Tell you what, I don't have to go to church. Please. I mean, I got the Bible. I go out. The fuss of trying to find that place, the inconvenience of being crowded into those tight little pews, I don't need it. All I need is to be able to get alone with God once a week and I'll be fine. And Moody never said a word. Not, not a single word. When the man was finally through, Moody reached over to the fireplace and he grabbed the tongs and he reached into that red-hot flame and he pulled out a burning coal and he slid it out onto the edge of the hearth. And the two of them sat in silence and stared at that coal as slowly but very surely it lost its glow, it lost its flame, until finally, in the end, it was nothing more than a little wisp of smoke and a cold, charred peace. Let's pray, you and me. Oh, God. Oh, God. Get us back to the fire, please. Get us back to the group portrait while there is still time. Amen.